Almighty God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So, you might be old if you remember Penny Candy. Anybody here remember Penny Candy? Yeah, uh, it was not very sanitary. They, you, you would go into the store and you'd pick it out yourself. And, and, uh, but uh, we all lived, right? You might be old if you remember candy cigarettes. Do you remember those? They were good. Well, at least when I was small, I, I really liked them. And then about 10 years ago, I bought a pack. And uh, they were awful. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe your tastes change over the years. You know, like circus peanuts, those big, soft peanuts. They, they were really great when I was small, and then I tried some later in life. And, oh, what, what was I thinking? Metal ice cube trays with levers. Yeah, that was great technology. I thought that was a wonderful idea. Now they're plastic, and you twist them, and then they, they crack. Uh, so they don't make them like they used to. Party line telephones, anybody remember those? Party line phones, yeah, that, that was interesting. And, and uh, telephone numbers with a word prefix, okay? Um, I'm from Lafayette, and, and uh, my phone number was HA, that's the Hamilton Exchange, and then followed by five numbers. Vinyl records. You might be old if you remember roller skate keys. You had to have skates and a key for the skates. Uh, this says 35 cent a gallon gasoline. I might be wrong, but I think I remember 20 cent a gallon gasoline in 1960 or so. It was 20 cents. 15 cent hamburgers, 15 cent french fries, and 15 cent milkshakes. Five-cent packs of baseball cards with that slab of pink bubble gum in them. Yeah. We all got cavities, but you know, that's why you went to the dentist, right? You know you're getting old if it takes two tries to get up from the couch. <laughs> you know you're getting old if it takes longer to rest than it did to get tired. And you know you're getting old if it takes twice as long to look half as good. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I have said to people on a number of occasions that I know more people below ground than I do above ground. Now. And we, we say of young people, they have their whole lives ahead of them, right? But of the elderly, we assume that most of their lives are behind them you know, in the rearview mirror, so to speak. But is that biblical? I invite you to take a look at your sermon outline on page 7, I believe. Your windshield versus your rearview mirror. How do you view your life? Is it mostly ahead of you, or is it mostly in the rearview mirror? What do you think? So, letter A, how old was Abram when God called him? Anybody remember that from the lesson just read a few moments ago? 75. 75 years old when God called him. 
How old was Moses when God called him? Anybody know that? He was 80. And his brother Aaron, how old was Aaron when God called him to be the spokesman for Moses, because Moses was afraid to speak in public, uh, and, and God called him to be high priest, he called Aaron to be high priest. How old was Aaron? He was 83 years old when God called him. Colonel Sanders, I hear, was 66 when he began Kentucky Fried Chicken. Laura Ingalls Wilder of the Little House books didn't write her first book until she was 65. And Grandma Moses, Grandma Moses, uh, iconic folk art painter, well, she was into embroidery, actually, until her arthritis got so bad that she could not work with the needles anymore. And so she, but she could hold a paintbrush. And she started painting at age 76. Now, the point here is that these individuals did not discover their calling until they were senior citizens. And it, it wasn't until they reached what you and I would call retirement age that their lives really began. Roman numeral two. In our gospel reading, Jesus calls Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is referred to by our Lord as the teacher of Israel and yet, the teacher of Israel is in darkness. He is in spiritual darkness. In verse 3, Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, one is a polite way of saying you, Nicodemus. But Jesus is polite, so he doesn't say that. He says, unless one nudge, nudge, wink, wink, is born again, he cannot even see the work of God in the world, what God is really doing. And that's being at work in Jesus, suffering and dying for the sins of the world. You can't see that. You can't discern it. Letter B. Nicodemus thinks he knows Jesus, you know, no one could do what you do unless God was with him. Well, okay, but it's more than God being with him. He is God with us in the flesh. Nicodemus says, we know you're a teacher come from God, but he is more. He is God come to earth, not to condemn humanity, but to be condemned in place of humanity. He's so much more than what Nicodemus knows. His coming to Jesus by night, to me, is indicative of the darkness he's in. This theme of light and darkness is a big theme in John's Gospel. Now, Nicodemus won't remain in the dark. He won't remain there. Letter C, although he is likely advanced in years, and I say that because in verse 4, he asks, how can a man be born when he 
is old. And again, that's a roundabout way, kind of a polite way of saying, how can I be born when I am old? So I take it to mean that he is old himself. Although he is likely advanced in years, his conversation with Jesus marks the true beginning of his life. This is where his life really starts, when he encounters the Lord. And we see that later in the Gospel. In John chapter 7, when the Pharisees are plotting against Jesus, Nicodemus is there. And, and he asks this question, does our law condemn a man without first providing him with a hearing? You see, he's coming to his defense. And then in John 19, after our Lord is crucified, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea take Jesus down from the cross. And it's Nicodemus who buys 75 pounds worth of burial spices. It's a lot of burial spices to mask the odor of decomposition, which they assume will, will ensue. So he's, he's becoming a believer. He's not remaining in the darkness. Roman numeral three, he asks, how can these things be, or how can they literally happen? How can they take place? Verse nine. Letter A, the new life in the spirit given in baptism one must be born of water and spirit. Get, this is given in baptism, this new life, results from the lifting up of the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. This new life is directly related to the crucifixion of Jesus. When he dies, his life passes to us. He breathes his last, and God breathes into us the breath of life, the Holy Spirit. At the cross, we always like to say, Jesus earned forgiveness there, but he doesn't really give it out there to you and to me. In baptism, he distributes it. In baptism, he gives it out personally to you and to me. He does that again and again in the Lord's Supper, personally distributing it. But at the cross, He's doing it for all people, regardless of who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. But he's got to get it to you personally, and he does that in baptism. He does that in the Lord's Supper. So, letter B, Jesus, the true rabbi, interprets the scriptures in light of himself. He sees Moses lifting up this bronze snake, and Jesus says, that's me me. He sees himself throughout the Old Testament. Now, we talked uh, this past Wednesday about the tree of life in the garden, uh, Genesis 2 and 3. Uh, the cross is the tree of life, the fulfillment of that, literally. You, know, you see this throughout the Old Testament. It just shouts Christ. You know, Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. He's condemned to death. He's going to die. But he emerges the next morning. It's, it's a resurrection. You know, in the book of, of Genesis, uh, Joseph is sold into slavery. And uh, his father Jacob is told Joseph is dead. You know? But later on in Genesis, Jacob learns of that Joseph is alive. And he says, Joseph, 
My son was dead, but he's alive. It's resurrection, you see. It all points to Jesus. The three young men in the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel, they're condemned to a certain death. But there's a fourth figure in that furnace, one like the Son of God himself, and those three men emerge without even the smell of smoke. This is resurrection, figuratively speaking, metaphorically speaking. It all points to Jesus. Just as the serpent was cursed in the book of Genesis, and this serpent is lifted up on the pole by Moses, Jesus bears the curse because Moses wrote, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything that is written in the book of the law. That's us. But he bears the curse for us. And just as everyone who looked upon this bronze snake was healed, so those of us who look upon the cross in faith, believing that what he did there, he did for us, we are healed of all our sins and death which ensues. Number one, Jesus distinguishes between earthly things, Moses and the bronze snake, and the heavenly things. Number two, the Son of Man being lifted up. That is to say, Jesus himself is the interpretive key to the entire scriptures. You can't understand the Hebrew Bible without understanding Jesus. And he summarizes all of this after his resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, he says, everything written about me and the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Thus it is written that the Christ must suffer and on the third day be raised. It's all there. And then let her see, Jesus interprets your life in light of himself. Your life's all about Jesus. It really is. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way to the Father. You know, I'm the way through the, mind, the spiritual minefield of this world, and I am the truth that you are seeking, and I am the life you are meant to live. This is why St. Paul writes in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's Christ who lives in me. St. Paul writes, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And then in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about marriage, but he understands marriage in terms of Jesus, once again. When he quotes Genesis 2, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. In marriage, God sees you, the two of you, as one entity, you see. He says, this is a great mystery, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. That's what marriage is all about. Every marriage is, is a walking signpost flashing Jesus, flashing Jesus. He is our identity. St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a member of it. Your life is all about him. He understands your life in light of himself. Number one, do you see your life as God's reign or God's kingdom? Do you see your, yourself as God's temple? As a light? in a dark world, uh, regardless of your age, 
Do you see yourself as light? Number two, in Christ, there's always more life ahead of you than behind you. There always is more life ahead of you in Christ than what is behind you. Even if you're going to die in the next minute, there's more life ahead of you than behind. If we consider eternity with the Lord. I want you to imagine for just a moment you know, we, we've all driven, I think most of us have. And you get in, and the windshield's about that wide, okay? And the rearview mirror's about that wide, right? And I think when you drive, I've read that you spend about 5% of your time looking in the rearview mirror. Well, maybe, maybe it's 15%, 5 or 15%, anyway. You spend looking in the rearview mirror. But imagine for a moment you get into your car, and the rear view mirror is the size of the windshield, and the windshield is the size of your rear view mirror. Imagine that. Are you going anywhere? Are you going to drive someplace with that kind of, of vision? I, I, I don't think so. I don't think you can really move forward if all you see is what's behind you. Now, my friends, in the same way, you can't move forward spiritually in Christ unless you have a lot of windshield. And that's what Christ gives us through the forgiveness of our sins. We have a new life, a new beginning, a new start. You know, Jewish commentators, in their comments on Genesis 12, the first reading for this morning, they say this, they say, Abram's call is a new birth. And they speak of a new birth in the same way Jesus does in John 3. They say this call from God is the true beginning of his life. And I would agree. Many of us retire from our day job, but we never retire from the Lord. We never retire from serving the Lord. To serve him as a joy, to serve him as life, as opposed to death. It's where we want to be. With the Lord, there's a lot of windshield and comparatively small rear view mirror. With the Lord, by his grace, there's always more ahead of you than there is behind you. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.